0: restaurant unstoppable episode 591 with mark buley food and hospitality are always improved by
1: care from the source so whether that's the ingredients in a recipe from the best possible farm or a true intention of the personality of the front of the house staff that you have are
0: you ready for it factors success stories I'm sure you've heard of Revel but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel Point of Sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com/ unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it with excitement. Allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef. Mark Buley, my man, Mark, are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: But for a little bit of a sniffle, I can call it unstoppable.
0: Well, I appreciate you making time for me. I'm really excited for this conversation. So hailing from Wisconsin, Mark David Buley is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin Stout and the Culinary Institute of America Hyde Park. After his formal education, Bewley went to work at the Montagna restaurant at the Little Nell Hotel in Aspen, where he met future business partners Bryce Gilmore and Sam Hellman Mass. In 2012, Bewley joined past colleagues to open the Odd Duck. And in 2008, Team Beaulie and Partners opened the most recent project, Sour Duck Market, where we're sitting today. And this is your first crack at a fast, casual concept. It sounds like you guys are doing a great job. I cannot wait to dive into your story. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us?
1: Um, I think one of my favorite ones is your future depends on many things, but mostly on you.
0: Ooh, Your future depends on many things, but mostly on you. Uh, dive into that. How does it resonate with you?
1: Um, I think personal responsibility is a big part of, uh, what puts people on a path towards success and, um, accepting every set of circumstances and, uh, having that sort of man in the arena mentality with your current circumstance or the circumstance that will lead to your big shot. Um, and I think it's, uh, one of the best antidotes to, um, excuses.
0: Yes, man. It's like you were on the same wavelength. Cause I was just thinking, I'm like, so often we make excuses. We look at the outside world, right? What, what's happening to me for this not to happen, but really usually it's, it's that mentality that you have, uh, creating excuses for you not achieving your goals. Right. Uh, that's kind of what I was thinking. Do you want to reflect on that?
1: I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, one of my favorite writers is actually in Austin, uh, pretty pretty local to Austin anyway, um, Ryan Holiday, and he wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way that became sort of a viral book that made its way through the NFL, through the NBA, through a whole bunch of different competitive arenas, and that was based on stoic philosophy and understanding that with every obstacle is an opportunity. Um, and... I think anybody that's in the restaurant industry already understands that there will be an insurmountable, seemingly so, amount of obstacles on the daily basis, and the actual act of being a restaurateur is just knocking those off one at a time stabbing tickets
0: yeah especially if you're one of these people in the industry which i hope i wish i want more people to be uh the people that take quality over quantity and most every time when you take the quality approach it's going the through the obstacle right the hard way uh quality isn't easy uh but quality i think think is the long game right it, it's that that reputation that the legacy that's the kind of stuff that comes when i think of quality
1: absolutely yeah. um i i agree with the the I mean, you're bringing up all my favorite books right now. When you're talking about quality, I'm like the the Zen and art of motorcycle maintenance is whizzing through my head. Um, and just like being in the moment of any service or any plate or any conversation that you're having with the guests and just like embracing that moment and trying to, um, squeeze the nectar out of it.
0: Nice dude. Great way to get this thing started. So bring us to where it started for you. Uh, I saw that you went to uh, the University of Wisconsin, and you were majoring in basically hospitality management. Yeah. Um, w- did, so, at this point, you must have known that you wanted this to be your path. Why? When did it really start?
1: I think. I mean, my love for cooking started, you know, six or seven years old. I, my my aunt gave me a cookbook that was a cookbook for kids when it was either my, my sixth or seventh birthday, and I started kind of knocking off recipes one at a time out of that book just because I had. Um a love for eating a lot of the things that my mom would cook. And um I just in general have a super inquisitive mind.
0: So you are attracted to food. Why did you decide to focus on the business side of hospitality?
1: You know that was that was sort of by accident. Um, I did my undergraduate for at the University of Wisconsin South for the hotel, restaurant, and tourism management, and I knew from my lack of success in high school um, mm-hmm. that if I ever wanted to make it in the business, so to speak, make it um, that I would need to learn the mechanics behind um, what keeps places running and what keeps the doors from uh, closing on a restaurant. And I knew that if I went to culinary school first, that that's something that either I would, I would never pursue or it would take much, much longer just from um, the way I approach learning.
0: Yeah. So one thing I'm curious about and it's something that I see really often with people in this industry uh, that we tend to do really bad in like high school. (laughs) But when we get to our, like our our lives, our our careers, we, we excel. Why do you think that is? I
1: think um, engagement is probably the number one word that uh, comes to mind when, when um, you're talking about success or lack of success in high school. And then, you know, I went from a 2.1 GPA Graduating in the bottom half of my class and constantly getting phone calls home to my parents about behavioral stuff in high school, to every semester I was at undergrad being on the dean's list and graduating number two in a class at CIA. It was uh, a complete 180. And it so was. So,
0: what clicked? What was different?
1: The subject matter was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I started to. Experience, you know, that quality that you're talking about of on the daily basis, I was learning stuff that I found fascinating and um, I actually ended up participating in an engagement uh, education study that was done at the university of Wisconsin Stout by one of my professors because they like saw I was so into it in, um, in school. I mean, that went down to the accounting classes, the restaurant accounting classes. I was into it, the restaurant law classes. I was like fascinated um, to see how, you know, to take the top off the restaurant and see uh, how the gears ran inside was just kind of mind-blowing to me.
0: So usually during these interviews, I kind of uh, fast forward through the educational portion or like reflecting back at the education, but it sounds like you really took the most or you made the most out of your your culinary education. Uh, One of the few people that really do, in my opinion, I think a lot of people go and they kind of get distracted by being young and, you know, like a lot of us do in college and they Mm -hmm. don't make the most of their their formal education in culinary, but you seem like you're one of these people, maybe it's because you went when you were a little bit older, I think that probably played into it.
1: I think they definitely played into it. The program that I went to at the CIA was called the ACE program, Advanced Career Experience, is what that one stands for. Um I had uh a, a year, year and a half in between when I graduated Wisconsin Stout, um, and when I went to CIA, I did some I did a semester in Spain in between those and um certificate program at uh, Universidad de Islas Baleares, which is a wine and food pairing program in, in Mallorca.
0: Yeah, I saw that in your background, but I was afraid to say it during the introduction. So yeah, I'm still afraid to say <laughs> it. I
1: probably butchered it for uh, any of my native speaking friends. But um, <laughs> I th- what what happened during that time is um, I was in Minneapolis trying to cook at the what I thought were the best restaurants in that city. And... Um, rose through some line cooking ranks into a sous chef role. And then I kind of like looked to my left and looked to my right. And I said, you know, I have a work ethic that matches what these guys are doing. Um, I have an intensity during service that matches what these guys are doing, but they have a repertoire that's far, far wider than what I had at that time. And that's when I really, you know, was like, I absolutely need to go to finishing school is kind of the way I thought of it. um, I think that's a big part of why I dove in so hard is, uh, I realized that I had the perfect opportunity and I had, you know, hundreds of years of collective experience at the CIA that I could go around and anything I wanted to, to know was right there. I mean, that was Francisco Magoya was running the pastry program and he's the guy running the, the modernist cuisine books right now with Nathan Miraval. I mean, like, you could go up to him and ask him a question and like watch him work. It's incredible.
0: And so, so you graduate from, uh, the, the, the business school in Wisconsin, Mm go, you're working in Minneapolis. And that's when, after being around these people that have the same passion, but a wider scope of knowledge, that's when you said to yourself, I need to go surround myself. Uh, with these people, I need to do this this crash course and really get that experience. For sure. Um, so one thing I, I want to take from that, and it's something I, that I see often, the people that excel in culinary school, are the people that have taken, you know, that have been in the industry have surrounded themselves with those other people who are equally passionate. And 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 I think it takes being in the industry for at least a year or two, surrounding yourself with the best to really to make the most out of culinary school. And the people who do go work for great people then go to culinary school almost always graduate at the top of their class, I've noticed. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Maybe take some time before going to culinary school out of high school is the lesson there. Um, but what about key mentors? Any key mentors that you had at the culinary school that we can, you know, really focus on and extract lessons from.
1: I think every step along the way I had a key mentor. Um, I mean, from my time at stout, there's a guy named Peter D'Souza that runs the the actual, there are two mock restaurants on campus and the one that's the fine dining restaurant. He runs that one. And then he also runs the, um, the wine and food pairing certificate course trips to Spain. Um, He was definitely my biggest driving force there. And then in my time in Minneapolis, I worked for a guy named Don Saunders, who's got a a few restaurants around Minneapolis at time, or at the time I was working for him at a restaurant called Fugace, um, which has since closed. And he's got a couple other restaurants in Minneapolis that are just awesome, awesome restaurants.
0: So what did we learn from Peter? What was the, what was the big lesson from Peter?
1: Um, Peter's entire, dna is based on the systems approach um you know his he is of you know indian descent and he worked as the chef at the taj in uh, bombay before he coming to the united states and that's you know his number one credential um and he would always say that he will not have chaos in his kitchen and the antidote to chaos are systems Mm. um so he taught everything on systems he expedited with a bank of about a dozen timers, which was like, turn the steaks 90 degrees, turn the steaks, you know, flip all of the steaks, you know, temp chicken in oven. He had everything just on a bank of timers, just totally dialed in like a Swiss watch.
0: So you learned uh, systems and, and orderliness from Peter. What about Don? What did Don teach you?
1: Um, Don had an incredible palate, um, and he was a very, like, pass uh, passion-focused chef, and I would say, like felt very um, like there was a bit of underdog in him where it seemed like he wasn't afraid to take risks before he was 100% ready, which is, uh, I think, an extremely important lesson. Why?
0: Why is that so important?
1: I think because you're never 100% ready for anything. Um, and it definitely comes from the restaurants that I've uh, opened with our partners and... Um, the day that the doors open, I've never felt like we were a hundred percent prepared. I felt like we were in a good position to figure out what we didn't know. But um I never felt like, All right, this is a Super Bowl winning, nothing's gonna nothing's gonna get in our way that we can't handle. It was like a all right, let's see what we don't know um when the doors open. And I I definitely learned that from him. There were you know, days when pieces of equipment would break or somebody would call out and he was, you know, the king of roll the dice and figure it out and just like keep your head down and stab one ticket at a time and we're going to get through service and just cook hard every single plate that you put out and the food's going to be good and people are going to keep coming back.
0: Awesome. And what about at the CIA? Anybody key mentors there? Or was that where Peter was?
1: No, Peter Peter was at um, University of Wisconsin That's Stout. Right. Um, I would say, I had a few at the CIA. The one that really sticks out is Xavier LaRue. Um, and he, I had him for a few classes that the real cool thing about the ACE program was that we stayed together as a cohort the entire, um, the entire way through until the actual restaurant courses. Um, so we got to kind of like grow together and, um, really develop some really strong bonds that I think some of the other classes don't develop. And, You get to stay with chef instructors for longer than just a six-week block. So we had him for three blocks total, Um, and just how professional he was, his palate, his passion for classical cuisine. Um, I think everybody that was in that class remembers one day when he's like, "I'm cooking family meal." He ordered some veal cheeks and he made blanquette de veau with some veal cheeks and it just with a simple rice pilaf, and it was like otherworldly. It Man, was, it sounds amazing. Incredible.
0: What it is You said he's professional. What is professional in your opinion?
1: I think professional can mean a lot of things, but in, in the context of, you know, chef LaRue, it was, he brought a sense of grace to how you could move in a kitchen. Um, there was calm, grace, respect, um,
0: intentionality. It was what I think of when I hear grace,
1: for sure. I mean, every every move had a purpose, mm-hmm. and um, he's still—you y- look at him, I mean, he was perfectly perfectly groomed every day, like slicked back, silver hair. He looked just like Dukas, um, and the the guy never missed a beat, and I fully expected him to be a little bit more hard-nosed when we'd ask him. We'd hit him with a Q&A at the end of every class, which was awesome because— it seemed to me like not a lot of other groups of students got that opportunity. And one of my favorite questions that he got asked was by a good friend of mine that I ran a restaurant with in between culinary school and now, and who is actually, he's the chef of all the restaurants at the museum of modern art. Oh, the cool. Guy's name's Dan Jackson. He's just awesome dude.
0: Isn't that run by the, uh, uni hospital, uni mm-hmm. hospital. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So.
1: so, I mean, he and his wife are like very, um, incredible an incredible couple that it's, both very high up in that company, yeah, but
0: I couldn't spit it out. I was trying to say Union Square Hospitality, which is Danny Meyer's group. so yep, it gives that's you it. An idea of who, like the the quality or the the excellence of the chef we're talking about. He must be he, to climb the ladder with that group. You got to be at the top of your game. Absolutely. So, sorry, keep going.
1: No, but he would. He asked uh, Chefler. We said, "Do you think it's the responsibility of the chef to motivate cooks?" And mm. I fully and ent- I fully expected the old school French guy coming up in the seventies. Um, New York City restaurant scene to say no cooks need to bring it, and he said yes. It is absolutely the responsibility of the chef to motivate the cooks.
0: Did you Did you guys dive into it further after that? Like- we, I mean,
1: he he got hit with uh, the counterpoints and points, and you know, I think you in any field, if you if you have somebody walk in off the street motivated internally you need to like thank your lucky stars and yeah. take that as the exception. Um, and the human work is always the hard work in this industry. Um, so to hear it from somebody that had that much authority m- made it like an irrevocable truth. Nobody that, nobody along the path since um, who would doubt what he said would have any credibility with me after after hearing a guy like that say that.
0: And the thing that he said was that the chef is responsible for motivating the crew, the, the team. Yes. Awesome. Um, man, I, I, I'm tempted to go deeper into that. So uh, when, when you guys started having this back and forth, what was his rationale? Do you remember the conversation that well?
1: I, I don't remember a whole bunch more or that much more detail after that. I just, um, it was just more about the sentiment and, um, about the, the quality of the experience of the diner ultimately being the responsibility of the leadership. Okay. Um, and I think all of that is so intertwined that, um, it gets a little easier to draw that conclusion that if you have cooks that aren't motivated and especially in, in cities that have, um, a more challenging labor market, there's not a revolving door of well-trained cooks in every city. I mean, perhaps in New York city at the time when he had, uh, when he was the chef at, uh, La Perigord, but
0: I'm making a I note just, on how to, how to, uh, motivate your team because I feel like that's a, going to be a huge takeaway, but I want to come back to that when you're in the leadership role. For sure. Uh, it makes sense to kind of maybe talking about uh, your role at, at, at odd duck and how that played a role uh, being, knowing that you're responsible for, for motivating your team. So you guys, you, you end up going out to Aspen with your future business partners. I know you all got there kind of separately. Yes. Right. Um, is there anything that's worth kind of hovering over before moving to that point where you you come together with your business partners?
1: Um, I think the, the motivation for Bryce and I was literally, I think we read the identical article in um, gourmet magazine had like the top 10 farm to table restaurants, um, in the nation. And I've always had an interest in agriculture coming from rural Wisconsin. Um, I read that article and there were, there was actually the little Nell and then blackberry farms, both of which I ended up working at, uh, That really piqued my interest from that article. Uh, Aspen, I grew up skiing, so I was all about that as a locale for my first job out of culinary school. Um, And I kind of established that I didn't want to work in New York City. Uh, In the amount of staging I was doing during culinary school, there was... Trying to find the team where there felt like cohesion and like everybody was working towards a common goal was a little bit more challenging than I had wished in New York City. Um, so I hoped to find that outside of the culture in New York City.
0: So did you find that cohesion at the Montagna restaurant?
1: Absolutely. So the when I when I got to Montagna, it was Bryce cooking the meat station. I cooked the pasta station in the in the middle of the line, and then Sam Hellman Mass was cooking fish and. The three of us got along famously from day one.
0: So what really surprises me is that at this, at this point, how old are you at this point going on to the Montagna?
1: Um, maybe about 26 years
0: old. So you, you, not most people at the age of 26 in their career realize the significance of, of a common goal and of a cohesive group. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. How, why did you know that this was going to be so important? Why, how is this influencing you? Um, I, I think that
1: my time at CIA, having gone through the program with the with the same cohort the whole time, I recognized the really strong team players in that cohort and I, I could just it just was kind of a magical feeling when you would work alongside people that had a common vision and were willing to sweat as hard as you were willing to sweat. Uh and I just wanted to see how how far the craft could go and what a group of people can accomplish together. Sort of like a crew team, They're just like pulling oars as hard as you're the guy next to you.
0: So what was it about Montagna that uh, supported this culture of cohesiveness and common, the common goal? What was going on there?
1: I think Bryce, Sam and I all came there with um, a strong, you know, passion that was internally driven and on top of that, we had some incredible leadership there. Um, I'm sure Sam mentioned Steve Rosikowski, but yes. the guy is an absolute legend. Yeah,
0: he's on my my hit list as of recent to get on the show if I'm ever in Colorado. That's for sure. Um, what, what did you learn from him? We got we got Sam's perspective, but how did uh, we'll just call him Chef Steve Reds because I'm afraid to say his last name. Say it one more time for me. Rezakowski. Rezakowski. Chef Steve Rezakowski. What did you learn from Chef Re- Steve Rezakowski?
1: Um, I learned. I mean, I I don't even know where to start. But the, on top of his actual leadership skills, he was as talented of a cook on every station in the, in any restaurant I've ever seen him work in, as anybody in any building he's ever been in. So mm-hmm. it's, um, he had that intentionality, that grace that we're talking about. He had a toughness about him and unflappable focus in terms of it could be the absolute most chaotic service ever, um, which my most chaotic service I've ever worked was at that restaurant. And he was the executive sous chef of the hotel, and there's more than one restaurant in the hotel. And he had to step in and bump off other expediters and all the other, you know, Egyptian cotton, you know, fresh pressed jacket you know, shiny shoe chefs in the, in the company, like stood back and watched him. And it was just like, he was a step above everybody else in terms of performance. And he was a super nice guy at the same time. And he would push you, but he also knew when circumstances got outside of, outside of an individual's control, he knew when to push and he knew when to give a little slack in the reins. Um, he wasn't afraid to take off that shiny chef's jacket and um, hop in the dish pit at the end of the night, which uh, super motivating. Just because he respected everybody that he worked with so much in terms of, you know, dishwashers, all the cooks, the interns, the the maintenance people, um, yeah, and just oozed integrity.
0: Man, like I have so many questions bottling up. You just you keep on bringing such amazing attributes to the surface. Like, which one do I focus on? Uh, if you could. You know thinking back about who he was and how he influenced you today, how are you different today because of his influence? What was the biggest way he influenced you?
1: The biggest way he influenced me is any anytime that I feel like uh I don't have uh, enough wind in my sails for the day, I just kind of like think back to to Steve and how he would push through and to be like, "Man, if he were here right now and could see me, would I be proud or would I be like embarrassed mm. um of my performance on that day?
0: yeah. I think the thing that I I drew from your your description of him was his willingness to do to do the the shitty work, right? To to, to be somebody who has climbed the the highest rank, but also somebody who's willing to take uh, and to get dirty in the, the sink and to to show the people that he's willing not just to say he's willing right uh your actions speak way longer or way louder than your your words and then the other part of that is uh just people you know the the level of give a shit and care he had for his people i think is the other variable i got there which i mean that is the gold uh
1: absolutely um i think in, in terms of how much he cared for his people one of my favorite steve stories is that uh there was a one of the ranges in the um banquet kitchen at the hotel was the pilot light was having some issues where the pilot light would light. And then the gas flow would be relatively unregulated until it hit with a big flash. And he, Steve was, you know, on the maintenance department trying to get them to fix this. And, um, they were like, yeah, we're going to fix it. Yeah, we're going to fix it. They kept putting it off and he was just on him about it. And then one of the, one of the interns went to light that oven and she got, you know, it flared really hard in her face and it like singed her hair and burned her. And he like big brother status was just livid. And he marched down to the, uh, maintenance office and the maintenance guy was like sitting there behind his desk, watching TV. And he legit flipped his desk over and just jumped down his throat and was like, you know, I've got an intern up there. that's like burned really badly because of your laziness. Yeah. And he essentially grabbed him by the collar and pulled him up to the uh, banquet kitchen and made him, fix the, uh, made him fix the issue.
0: So, I mean, just you, like I said, like that level of care. When your people know how much you care for them and how willing you are to go to bat for them and defend them, they will do anything for you. But you can't just you got to let your actions speak. And that's what I'm getting from Chef Steve is that his actions spoke so loudly, loudly. Everybody on that team knew whose side he was on. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, So we also have to talk about your initial, uh, you know, what what the initial, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This this is where you met your future business partners. So how did they first influence you? What was the initial reaction to working with these guys? What was it about them that you respected so much that you were willing to come to Austin later on down the the line to to partner with them?
1: Well, I think um, Bryce and Sam are like totally juxtaposed into how, you first perceive them. Sam's extremely articulate, like really, um, go getter kind of can, can be a little bulldogish in the business world, which is, which is excellent for him. And Bryce is extremely stoic, um, and has that sort of same unflappable quality that Steve had. Uh, I mean, I remember we changed the entire menu and it was the day before we were going to open for the season at Montagna And I was running a little bit behind on my prep and Sam seemed pretty frantic running around the kitchen, getting his stuff done, but he was getting it done. And Bryce was totally done with all the production he was supposed to do. And he had the lead station on the line and he never seemed like he was moving that fast, but he was just so deliberate in everything that he did and just, you know, walked over and took a look at my list and just grabbed a couple things off my list and very calmly, just did it, uh, you know. He's he's the guy you never want to play cards against because you have no idea what his hand <laughs> says.
0: <laughs> but at the same time, like you know, d- just uh, that that again, your actions speak way louder than anything you could say. Right. And he didn't have to be asked for, help. you know, you didn't have to ask him for help. He just came over. He he took care of his stuff and now he's taking care of the team. And those things, they, they have such an impact. I mean, just the little things that you can do have such an impact later on in life and just carry your, your reputation so far. Um, I mean, I think
1: like my, I look at like Sam Bryce and I, and like, if you stack the three of us together, we're like the transformers version of Steve, like, Like Sam has business (laughs) acumen and like, you know, that push. And um, I have like the curiosity and, you know, sort of deep will to like really inspire the cooks. And Bryce has the just absolutely unshakable cooking chops and unflappable demeanor. So um, I think what I took out of that is if I couldn't be Steve or match him, I wanted to surround myself with people that could, collectively meet his equal.
0: Mm. That's a huge lesson right there. Uh, I think that the the food and beverage industry, and this, I'm, I must sound like a broken record now, anybody that listens to the show knows what I'm about to say, is I don't think you can do it alone anymore. Uh, to be able to compete at the top level, unless you are a freak of nature and there's not that many of us, we live in such a competitive market right now. Like, How are you going to be good at everything? You, you have to surround yourself with people that make up for your weaknesses, your shortcomings. Uh, and it sounds like that's kind of the approach you guys, the three of you took when opening, or the three of you, there's... Five of you total, five partners. Yep. Right? So
1: for for the opening, OutDuck, there were five of us. Um, it's Jason James, the front of the house um, general manager, and he's a partner in Sourduck as well. He actually um, met Bryce, and Bryce's Bryce's dad owns restaurants all throughout Austin as well. Yes, Jack yeah. Allen's Kitchen and Salt Traders. And um, Jason was working as a bartender at um, Jack Allen's Kitchen. Gotcha. Ended up being a front of the house guy at Barley Swine when Bryce opened Barley Swine. And um, grew into the management role. He was noticing that there wasn't really anybody there to, like, lead the front of the house team because it was such a small restaurant. And he started to morph and grow into that person.
0: So we aren't touching on one key variable of your career, and that's that you went to go open a restaurant for a couple of years in between – the montagna in coming out to austin Mm -hmm. uh anything worth mentioning there any big lessons from that experience uh pros or cons from that experience
1: um i mean i definitely i had a great time doing it i learned a ton um we opened a restaurant in aspen called bb's kitchen and um i took the lead chef role there and i got to hire basically whoever i wanted and had a i had a big staffing budget because the the guy who opened it was very wealthy from the um Real estate industry and, um, was looking to open a restaurant to have as a passion project. And, uh, I got to hire actually two of my, two of my best mates from culinary school. That was Dan Jackson was one of them as a sous chef. And then Todd Webb was the other guy who's, um, running the JW Marriott in, um, Northern Michigan right now as the other sous chef. And the three of us actually room were roommates and opening a restaurant together. Wow. So. We got to bond, you know, super, super deep in every way that you can bond um, over that experience.
0: This is really your first role as like a, a the leader. I mean, you mean sure. you had probably a leadership responsibility at Montanya because you were, I'm sure there were cooks under you at your time there. But this is what you're the executive chef. This is the first executive chef role you've had, sure. right? Yeah. So what was that transition like going from you know, uh, high ranking to the leader?
1: Um, I think. Th- the biggest shock to my system for the transition was that I wasn't getting to cook as much. Um, it, a lot of the admin duties took up a huge amount of my, my waking life. Um, from scheduling to budgeting, we were using some software that's like laughable by today's standards. Um, that took a ton of manual input. Um, we had, the bookkeeper that we had was having me code all the invoices out and separate line items for cost categories. So I was definitely grateful for my uh, degree from University of Wisconsin Stout. But um, I would say that was the biggest shock, was like how much of a chef's job in the today's day uh, is about the admin, is about the business side of things.
0: Do you think that's, do you think that's a problem, or do you think that... It-
1: no, I don't think it's a problem because the finance is the fuel in the tank. Mm. You run out of money, you close the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you need to be so aware of it. And it's, it's like a really fun challenge yeah. for me.
0: i, I got to go deeper here because you said something. It's, a, it's a, an analogy I use all the time is that the money isn't the engine. It's the fuel in the tank. What is the engine in your opinion? What is the driving force? What is the thing that makes everything work? I mean, I don't know if I'm asking this question, right? The gas makes it work because we need the fuel. But you know what I'm saying? Like, what is the engine? What is the, the, the powerhouse?
1: I mean, the powerhouse is your business model. Um, you know, every, every restaurant has a few documents that are like the holy grail. Um, and, you know, the menu, the schedule, prep sheets, um, and your business plan. Uh, just having a core identity that, you know, becomes the mantra um if you if you don't have a mission statement from the from the word go
0: yeah I love it man um so anything we why did you end up leaving what was the reason for leaving how many years were you there
1: uh, I was there a year and a half okay. um the experience, running restaurants in aspen is is extremely challenging because of how seasonal the business is um I think that was a big part of it another big part of it was I was limited quite a bit in from creativity perspective by what the ownership wanted. And that can be a great job for a whole bunch of different chefs. But for me, I was starting to realize that it wasn't a good fit in terms of creative expression. And then there was like that, uh, you know, all those little moments that you have in life where you realize that the universe is trying to tell you something. Um, I had one of those moments, and that was when Bryce was nominated for Food & Wine's Top 10 New Chefs or Best New Chefs. For Barley Swine. And uh, he and Sam Hellman-Mass was working with him at the time, opening up Barley Swine, came to Aspen for the Aspen Food and Wine Classic as part of that nomination. And uh, I ran into him there. They stopped at Beebe's. I was feeding them all the time. And that if, if you haven't been to Aspen for the Food and Wine Classic, it's insane. It's like, you know... Everybody on the A list is there in terms of the food and beverage industry. It's like Mario Batali was eating at the restaurant on the daily. Like a friend of a friend was managing events that Thomas Keller was cooking for. Um, he ended up after hours at uh, at the restaurant that I was at, and it's just like you're looking around, and it's the absolute dream team of chefs just. Walking around a town of nine thousand people in the middle of Colorado.
0: So the universe, by basically by bringing these people back to you, by seeing that you know, by seeing the success, the success that Bryce is having, you're saying to yourself, "I need to get back with these people that, that to that creative place uh, where I I could do what I do best, which is create." Is that kind of what was happening? I
1: think that was a huge part of it. We definitely. Re- rekindled a friendship that was strong for when when Sam and Bryce left uh, Aspen and um not only did we rekindle a friendship but it was like a reminder of even if you put together a really great team the circumstance has to lend itself to to the right
0: Me- Vision. Yeah, it's the right vision, vision
1: and expression. You the, culture, the culture of a city and business opportunities in a city have everything to do with, like, will your vision be met with a warm reception? Mm-hmm.
0: And I think you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, like the, the, the engine is the mission, right? The, yeah. And it sounds like maybe you were void. Uh, you had all the fuel in the world, right? All the fuel yeah. you needed, but maybe the, the, the mission, the vision wasn't your own is that kind of what was happening? Was- yeah,
1: I think that was a big part of it. Um also I mean the 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 culture of Aspen, uh the working class in Aspen, if you could call it that is almost exclusively, you know, based around the tourism and ski industry and lives in subsidized housing or lives so far down valley that it's an hour plus bus ride in every day. They're incredible people in in that industry and they're tight tight bonds that uh, you know, I hold on to to this day. The clientele is one of the most challenging clientele that you can find on on a planet in terms of how high expectations and demands are because it's the richest of the rich and that's who you serve every single day. Um, And that can get a little bit wearing and you look around and you're like, man, I'm absolutely killing myself to run this restaurant but a lot of the folks in the dining room aren't people who i'd want to have a beer with afterwards
0: this is their their expectation this is their status quo and you don't appreciate what's going on it's almost a little disjointed right from absolutely yeah awesome man um i almost i'm so into this conversation i almost took uh, i almost forgot to take a break to thank our sponsors uh we'll do that and then we'll come back to talk about what it was like opening the odd duck with these partners online with Bento Box by signing up today at getbento.com/unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back and I really want to dive into how you evolved at Odds, uh, coming on board, um getting back with your old partners, your old colleagues. Uh what was it like? Take, take us through that experience.
1: Um, I mean, my time coming back to Odd Duck. When I right after the Food and Wine Classic, Sam Helman Mass gave me a call and said that, "Hey, we're trying to do Odd Duck, the trailer, and turn it into a brick and mortar restaurant." Um, Bryce and I were talking, and we thought that you would be a, a great fit in terms of running the kitchen on the daily. Um, I thought about it really hard, and I think the only the only reason I didn't jump the second he offered was that I had a couple guys working with me that moved from other cities that I wanted to make sure were well taken care of on the way out um, if I did decide to go that direction. And once that decision was made and you know they had secure exits um, to getting back to where they really needed to be, then uh, I was super stoked. I came down to Austin to visit.
0: We can't just skim over that. We gotta make an example of you because that that's such a key variable. I think people overlook the value of relationships in this industry, and especially as an executive chef, you have a responsibility. These people are coming not necessarily to work for them, this this restaurant, the BBs, right? Yep. Uh, they're coming because of the the man or the woman that's behind that restaurant, right? The the mentorship they kn- they know they're going to get. You had a reputation at this point. They they're coming to maybe work for you. Maybe they came. Maybe you knew them and you you told them to come work for you, right? So when people People yeah. come and work for you. They're, they're joining the restaurant because of you. you got to take care of them. you got to make sure they're going to an, an, the next spot. you got to make sure your people are secure before you just jump shit. And I think that's a huge lesson because maybe too often some people say, well, not my problem anymore. Like I'm off to the next right. thing. So just, I just wanted to make an, an example of you there. That's well. definitely worth it. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, two, two
1: of the guys I was trying to make sure I got, uh, got care taken of them um, were Dan Jackson and Todd Webb, the two sous chefs that I had. Um, I also went to culinary school with those guys and I just wanted to, they gave up, a. they gave up a lot moving to Aspen with a lot of unknown. And, uh, I mean, Dan was in a long distance relationship to his now, to his now wife. And, um, I wanted to do whatever I could to make sure that he landed softly on his feet wherever he went. He ended up back in New York city working for Danny Meyer again Beautiful. and is still there to this day. Uh, And Todd, he's originally from Michigan, ended up back in Michigan, and now he's running the JW Marriott.
0: Awesome. Uh, Definitely worth going deeper into that. Thank you. So bringing it back to you're in Austin, Odd Duck, what was that process like, being a part of this team?
1: Um, The process was frustrating in the beginning because uh, we had the original piece of real estate that we had selected ended up falling through. So I had about a six-month hiatus of when we thought we were going to start development to – whether to where it was like actually meaningful for me to be down there. So I uh, left BB's kitchen and um, in anticipation of moving to Austin and had the real estate fall through. So I actually serendipitously got to help Steve Rzakowski reopen a restaurant of his that had burned down um, as sort of repaying all the mentorship Mm. that he had given to me. He wanted to do a bread program at that restaurant, so I did a bread program for him. It's called Oak at 14th, just a phenomenal restaurant. So if you're in Boulder, that's an absolute not miss. Um, and I got to stay with him and help him out in reopening that restaurant and get an, another round of how how our seasoned pro like mentor gets it done. Uh, and then ended up moving to... Austin shortly thereafter and working at Barley Swine until we figured out a new piece of real estate for Odd Duck. Uh,
0: so, this is your first ownership. What was that transition like to being, to having a skin in the game? Or how did that even happen? Did they, they offer it to you or did you ask for it? Like, how did you get skin in the game?
1: Well, I, I asked for it. Um, and it was pretty much a simultaneous ask and offer. Um, you know, Bryce saw the value in, cause Bryce, Bryce is the lead on that yeah. project and he saw the value in having a vested, interest for partners in the restaurant something that was going to be a much longer lasting relationship and that you're going to care about a lot more than just your given department if that was a risk you know i didn't i didn't fully understand what that meant from a financial perspective from a tax perspective from a legal perspective and had to recall conversations from restaurant law classes in undergrad And try to figure out what, what were the implications of that outside of, hey, when the restaurant starts to make money, I guess I'll make a little more money. Um, I knew that there were going to be some additional risks in terms of personal guarantor for some loans or, you know, putting together the pool of investors and then writing a company agreement together. There was, there was some stuff that felt a lot more grown up than anything I'd done to that point.
0: So what's that that transition like well first going into this project with uh for previous colleagues now business partners uh not losing that sense of the kinship the friendship because you know you have this wedge that is the business potentially driving you apart uh there's certain decisions that have to be made that not everybody is on board with like what advice do you have for the person out there who has the had the uh fortunate uh events happen where they can go into business with their friends and and be the best. Like what advice do you have for that person who needs to start, you know, making a little wishy-washy with the business element?
1: I think you got to be totally wide open with your intentions from, from the word go. Um, I also think that Everybody needs to write a business plan and um, a company agreement together and understand the implications of it. Spend the legal money up front. You will never regret that. So we ended up with a 60-page company agreement, and that came from the style of vested ownership that we wanted. We wanted to make sure that everybody involved in ownership had long-term skin in the game, so we vested into our full sweat equity percentage over the course of five years and there were certain events throughout that um, throughout that contract that that provided a little bit more of a you know step function growth. So like when the restaurant was a hundred percent paid off for investors, then everybody made a step up to basically two-thirds vestment. So if it happened faster than five years, then you got a boost in your ownership vestment.
0: Mm-hmm Can you give us one specific element of this contract that we should replicate that you believe has protected you and not only your business interests but also your friendships over the time? Anything like specifically, like a key word or like a a type of uh, practice that you guys have put into uh, play in your contract?
1: Well, I think that the thing that we've used most often is is honestly like the line that is we can basically amend any section of this company agreement with with um, you know unified agreement
0: what and is unified agreement
1: so the fact we we unanimously vote um, to amend something in the company agreement and that has happened I why mean why is that
0: so important to have that that m- malleability
1: because you don't want to be beholden to a piece of paper over friendship mm. it's um, you know say I'm left to Shortly after the restaurant was paid off to start Suerte and uh, we had a non-compete clause in, in the company agreement that if we did it to the letter of the law, he would not been, not have been able to open Suerte and, you know, we could look at each other and say, you know what, he should do this. He really wants to do it. Um, We don't want to stand in his way or have something like that. And so we were able to do away with that. There was flexibility in that agreement that allowed us to, to forgive something that might have been unforeseen. Mm -hmm. Um, And it felt like, I mean, I'm so proud of the work that they're doing at Suerte and so happy for Sam. And he's a super close friend to this day. Um, And I think it's the flexibility of language like that and the understanding of others intentions and what they, what they want to get out of their future and knowing that, he's working towards this very similar goal in terms of uh, trying to run a business that contributes to the culture of the city that has its day-to-day operations run with integrity. Um, so I I think there should be more of those in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what were your biggest challenges uh, opening the odd duck? Anything that we can learn from just pulling it off? I think, um,
1: the biggest challenges are always human. So it was, again, finding, you know, you, you go through all your your stages of teamwork. So, you know, storming, norming, performing. And when you're in that storming stage of trying to, in as short order as possible, figure out what are the motivating factors for each individual, especially kind of working from the top down, saying, okay, the we had a ridiculously talented pastry chef at that at that restaurant and she stayed with us for a few years there and she's gone on to do some incredible things and figuring out like what she needed from us to remove obstacles and then how we could keep her as motivated as possible. She had, she has like this deep, deep um, need for things to be as perfect as absolutely possible. And sometimes the business volume Made that and made that a real challenge um, to keep plating standards to to her to her same level um, that would in the most cases be imperceivable to guests but perceivable to her. So that was, I mean, that finding what is motivating to each person. Sorry you know, the pastry chef was one example. So,
0: How do you go? What's that process for you look like when you have somebody of extreme talent on your team who fits your culture to the T? How, how do you approach that uh, process of keeping them inspired and motivated?
1: I think it's constant check-ins. It's, um, and then when your subconscious tells you like, Hey, that seems like, seems like Susie's having an off day, noting that. And then if the next day, when you go around and you say hi to everybody and shake hands and see where everybody's at and check in and, Oh, Susie seems off today again. And having those conversations, if there's a pattern as often, but not more often than is needed. I think there's definitely a line there, but feeling out when people are a little bit off and bringing the conversation to a table in a, in a way that feels non-threatening, And that feels just like in, in, uh,
0: that was my next question. Once you identify that somebody's a little off, how do you approach them in a non-threatening way? What's your, what's your advice for that?
1: Um, I mean, I used to, I used to think that you always needed two managers for this kind of stuff. I have since consulted some, some people in HR and they're like, no, that's a, that's a myth. Like have a one-on-one conversation. It depends on, there's a whole bunch of different strategies. One of Sam's favorite strategies is to take a walk, to get out of the physical space, Mm. um, to, or to have, have that meeting elsewhere. So it feels like, you know, every, everybody knows that you like have your game face on during service. And then everybody goes to their favorite staff bar afterwards or goes to their favorite, like late night restaurant afterwards. And the gloves are, the gloves are off. Like everybody's loosened up a little bit. And, um, the tone of the conversation changes
0: yeah man there's so much more i want to talk about i'm loving this conversation you're giving us gold but we got to leave time for the speed round and we also got to leave time to talk about uh sour duck so w- when did sour duck come onto the scene or when was that even a possibility for you guys
1: uh sour duck came onto the scene in 2016 um we had gotten to the point at odd duck where if i was expediting a certain amount of nights a week and then or running the production in the morning and Bryce was expediting a certain number of nights a week and then we had two sous chefs at the time they weren't really getting as many expediting or managing shifts as we wanted them to to have and we're like you know if we want to keep growing this team and keep people on a team developing we need to you know find a bigger pond mm. um, and we started looking for what is our own personal itch in terms of like, what what is the restaurant that we wish existed right now? The one that we want to go eat at on our days off that doesn't exist. And, you know, brainstorming in that. And I had um, developed a passion for baking, uh, especially sourdough bread. We said, you know, I, w- I would love for there to be a restaurant that did like really simple food. Um, or more simple and approachable food but using the same level of integrity and sourcing and the craftsmanship of each of the individual components so we started to build a business plan based off of that model
0: you also i noticed too this is you were kind of before on like the the fine casual line of dining right whereas now this this is your first fast casual approach sure. what was the decision for going with fast casual
1: um a big part of it was just like as, as you grow as a human being, you start to find different, uh, be aware of different needs, um, or different, different wants in a marketplace. Uh, Bryce had had his first kid and he was talking about how, you know, having, having a kid has sort of what he can do f- for restaurants on a routine basis changes. He needs to be able to sort of get in and get out quickly or have an area that's kid friendly. Um, have food that's easy to grab to go we definitely weren't a to-go restaurant and still aren't at um, odd duck Mm -hmm. Um, and we're like you know what you should you should have some more options there should be some options that aren't franchises and national change or chains or international chains that are doing food unique to place that uh, is done with integrity that you can get quickly and affordably
0: so what was the biggest challenge of opening sourdough what were the unfore- unseen challenges that you kind of uncovered as you went
1: um i think that the transition of going from hundred percent of my focus being on one restaurant to having to start to split that focus the transition wasn't as smooth as i wanted it to be we had some some major staffing changes that were unforeseen and you know to be totally candid unpleasant um that diverted attention it created some room for the leadership team that we have at sour duck to grow a little bit faster. Um, but, um, it left some, some rough edges to smooth out. Um, so I, I think, yeah, the biggest, the biggest challenge was definitely how to have a very fragile infant of a business and experience deep staffing challenges from the beginning and um keep it on sure enough feet to be able to grow from.
0: What were the staffing challenges? Did you have basically people that decided to just leave in the middle of this opening? Is that what happened?
1: Uh we had some we had some kitchen management turnover at at Odd Duck that um
0: and these were people that you were probably anticipating moving into more of a role over here or maybe taking over a role over there. Yeah, so they were could, in,
1: they were the plan was for them to take on a little bit more of a leadership role so over you, there. You so you could,
0: Attend, uh, divert your attention to,
1: to here yeah okay. so the so the idea was that um odd duck was going to remain like the the super stable um you know sops all dialed in site and sour duck was going to present the individual challenges and we we're going to go from there so um the kind of the opposite happened where the guy who's the chef de cuisine here at Sour Duck is a guy that we've worked with for a long time. And the sous uh, chef here, same thing, guy that we brought over from Odd Duck. So we had enough of a enough of a working history where they could grab the ball and run with it and end up pretty darn close to where we wanted things to be from an opening while I had a lot more of a split attention than I wanted to. I was kind of Doing fifty-fifty in between odd duck and sour duck. I
0: think this is a, a great time to, to to just make an example of why it's so important to have all the variables in place. So you need the the systems, processes, procedures, but you also need the people. So you had the you you had that set up at odd duck, uh, and you were in the process of developing that over here at sour duck. Uh, but since you had the SOPs in place, I kind of feel like it was easier for you to call an audible, uh, divert your attention back over to odd duck where you could go and just work on the people aspect because you have the SOPs in, and then you just had to groom those, that next evolution, that next generation of leadership. But since the SOPs were already there, you could probably move them into those leadership roles much faster. And since you had the people element squared away with the, the, the folks that you were opening sour duck with, they could focus on and on smoothing out the SOPs because you were forming those as you went. So, if you didn't have the SOPs lined up, maybe you couldn't have, you wouldn't have been able to transfer those people uh, from mid management to upper management as quickly, getting you freedom to come back over here to Sourduck. If I'm losing people right now, I'm, I'm apologizing. No, no, that's a great point. I think I speak it's really quickly, well said. I lose it. <laughs> no, you got to get it all out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, do you want to reflect on that?
1: No, I think you said it very well. Um, there are so many elements to each business because there's so many people at each business and so many. Outside of even just the actual scope of ownership, like the vendors that you're working with, the customers that you're working with, the all of the support pieces around that, around a business that you get as many of them as dialed in as you can, and then you you use as as much of your bandwidth attention bandwidth as required to deal with those that you feel like are out of spec, yeah um. And at face value it seemed like there was chaos, but there was so so much of a sturdy background at Odd Duck. And we had such great people in place at Sourduck when when we opened that that made the diversion of attention a little bit more manageable.
0: Awesome. We've got 10 minutes of time left together. I want to make sure to give you an opportunity to, to bring anything to the table that you were hoping we would discuss before moving to the speed round, anything that you were hoping we would discuss that you think is worth bringing to the surface before moving to the speed round.
1: Uh, yes. I, uh, the one guy's name who should have been mentioned a whole bunch more is Dylan Gilmore, Bryce's younger brother, yeah. um, younger and Bryce will hate me for saying this, but more responsible brother. <laughs> um, he is like, Anything that, anything that can be done in a restaurant, he can do. Um, and he, he has a finance background. So he does the bookkeeping on a day to day basis. He can fix just about anything. So in terms of when a piece of equipment goes down, he knows enough about enough things to make sure that the restaurant doesn't close because of a minor plumbing problem or of, um, a piece of equipment failure. And to have somebody that, you really trust and who has a deep understanding of operations uh, have their fingers on the pulse of the finance is I can't uh, overstate how important that is.
0: You know, again, it comes back to partnerships and the significance of having key players on your team that round off the team as a whole, as a sum, right? Um, Any key lessons from, from Bryce, any uh, key, uh, wait, not Bryce, his brother, Dylan, um, Dylan, thank you. Any key lessons from Dylan uh, that specifically that you want to you know shine a light on him? You, you mentioned that he's a utility player; he he wears all these hats. But what's one other nugget we can we can steal from him?
1: I think one nugget to steal from Dylan is is how calm he stays in all situations. He is, you know, I mean, the the analogy of the duck on the pond is a perfect analogy yeah. for him, where he's seemingly still, but the wheels are always turning, and he's thinking at things from surprising perspectives, um, you know, pointing out nuance and things that, and he plays this sort of like understated guy, um, but he'll, he'll come out with a detail about how a dish is garnished. And he'll be thinking about it on a practical level of how the dish will eat. When you need somebody to shake you from time to time and be like, look, dude, it should be, like flavor, texture, and then aesthetics in mm. terms of the hierarchy of building a great dish. And he'll be able to to point that out. And call you out on it. Yeah, call you out on it. <laughs> um, and I mean, he's, in terms of an unshakable spirit, the guy has like a compass just
0: pointed at at True North all the time. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors one more time. We'll be right back to bust out a true speed round. most about Revel Systems what would it be
1: It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end we utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service taxes sales reports labor reports it's all there to help you run your business
0: Beautiful guys and if you're listening to this Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting edge technology that helps increase revenue improve efficiencies and enhance experience of their employees and their customers to learn more head over to revelsystems.com/unstoppable we're back and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor habits, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, curiosity. What is your biggest weakness? Um, my attention span. What is one thing you look for a question you ask when you're looking to build your team?
1: I would say try to try to have a roundabout way to getting getting to the bottom of if someone is a team player or not.
0: What is the biggest challenge you're dealing with today?
1: Biggest challenge is finding, it's the same challenge as every day, finding motivating factors for each individual employee and keeping them focused on the
0: mission. Beautiful. Uh, what is one code of conduct or core value a behavior you teach your team? Always help the dishwasher. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within your four walls, not common within the industry.
1: Uh, I would say that service should extend in both directions, outward to the guest and inward to the team. Um, And that the Danny Meyer quote is you're responsible for taking care of each other, not just you.
0: Mm. Yes, I love this. Uh, What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator?
1: Um, It starts with why Simon Sinek.
0: What was the biggest lesson from that book?
1: that your mission always needs to be the focus in every decision you make.
0: What is one thing restaurateurs don't do often enough or well enough?
1: They don't take care of the people that supply their business with the goods that they're handling on a daily basis, so local farms. Mm.
0: What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge influence on operations?
1: Um, I'll spout off three. Toast, hot schedules, and the Google Drive is <laughs> is amazing.
0: So why Toast? What was it about Toast that made you go with this platform?
1: Um, Toast, we did. Um, we do uh, handheld point of sale systems.
0: Sounds like Toast newer. Yeah, they. Yeah, they, it's, they're. It's like I'm here. Ears were ringing. <laughs> <A> little dot <laughs> A little matrix little background, background for right you. There. Sorry to cut you short.
1: It's all good. It's the uh, the handheld point of sale systems that we use at Odd Duck and at Sour Duck have. Have uh, given us the capability of doing tableside ordering and keeping like an order taker. You can diversify the the tasks of the front of the house by having someone go cocktail order an entire section without having to return to a terminal to punch all yeah, those and tickets. And you're not
0: flat seating the bartender or the you know you, you get the that steady like spacing between the orders exactly. and no more traffic jams. At the POS. Exactly. uh, Huge variables there. Uh, Okay, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be? Three things you know to be true.
1: Food and hospitality are always improved by... Care from the source, so whether that's the ingredients in a recipe from the best possible farm, or um, a true intention of the personality of the front of the house staff that you have—that's one. Restaurants, all great restaurants are a manifestation of their place and time. So embrace that, um, meaning that if you're embrace the products uh, that are from you know from the city that you're from. And embrace the culture of the city that you're in, and you will likely find success. Mm. Three is, um, that how you treat people is everything. I think, uh, that is definitely true for me. I've had a whole bunch of recurring relationships and, um, in my professional life, and that's been directly linked to
0: respecting and caring for those who respect and care for you. Mark Bewley, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to to dive into your story, your knowledge, your experiences. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one person you admire? That's how I found you. Sam helman called you out. Who's one person you respect and admire in this industry and believe would, would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Steve Rzikowski. Steve, I'm coming after you, man. I'm going to have to come out to... Uh, Colorado sooner than later for sure. Uh, And how can we connect with you? Maybe come join your team or just follow what you're up to. What's the best way to to stay plugged in?
1: Uh, You could check uh, either websites or social media for both odd duck and sour duck. Um, Our Instagram is actually pretty active on both sites and we're constantly posting what we're up to in terms of cocktail creation or new dishes or what's going on in the bake
0: shop. Beautiful. I believe this is episode four. five hundred and ninety four head over to restaurant dot com slash five hundred and ninety four I'll have the links to how to connect uh, to all the tools and services and books recommended in a summary of today's discussion all over there again Mark thank you so much for taking the time there is no questioning my man you are unstoppable thank you man. I really appreciate it <laughs> cheers I appreciate you ten twenty eight two minutes to spare outstanding uh, thank you so much dude of course. I don't want to hold you up too much longer Actually, I got a photo with you I almost forgot yeah. In,
1: In the social...
0: There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh during the show, I said this is episode five ninety-four. This is actually five ninety-one. So head over to com slash five nine one if you want to check out a summary of today's discussion and the links and tools, uh, to services and books that were recommended on the show. And uh man, really great stuff today. Mark Bewley, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I cannot wait to get your business partner uh, Mr. Bryce Gilmore on the show. Hopefully when I come back to Austin, if he's down for it, and then I'm absolutely going after Chef Redzkowski because, man, oh, what an awesome sounding guy that, that is. And on that note, the big takeaways from today's lesson is being mindful of the example you're setting for your people in uh, the energy you're putting out. Just look at how much Chef Rodzkowski influence the people that came to work for him, uh, you are molding the people that work for you. Uh, you have a responsibility to give them the values in the, the, uh, the, just the, the general way to be in life and in business, uh, to, to make them contribute in a positive way to society. That's on you as a business owner. When you open a business, when you go into business for yourself, you are, that is your responsibility. And I, and I feel like we need more people like chef Ritzkowski and Bewley and Sam helman Helman-Mass and Bryce Gilmore in the world to to mold and influence the next generation of professionals. And, uh, man, just the other big lesson that I got from today's conversation is that unless you're a freak of nature, you cannot do it by yourself. And, and to have that mindfulness, to be self-aware, to know what you're good at, to know what you're bad at, and to and to have that network of, of people that you are good to who are, are willing to come together and, and collaborate to Uh, do something, share a common goal, have the same vision, and be a well-rounded group is the other big takeaway. And then the last lesson from today's conversation, I think there's really good advice on how to keep your team motivated and how to approach them in a way that is non-threatening but supportive and just really great stuff in today's conversation. Thank you again, Mark Bealey. All right, guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, at Eric B R I C C A C C I A T O R E Catch a Tori uh, on, again, Instagram, Twitter, and then Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. I'm listening to you guys. Tell me how I can best serve you. Tell me who you want me to get on the show. Also, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes coming. In, uh, also on Google Play now, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. I am out there. You can find me if you have a, a preferred platform. Maybe I'm on it now. Uh, and then please sign up for my email list. That is how uh, you stay connected with what's happening here at restaurant unstoppable. You'll never miss an episode. Uh, I will share with you where I'm at, uh, what my plans are for building this community and providing more value. And you can actually uh, help me build this community and the tools and resources that I'm going to create for you because I'm really bouncing my vision off of my audience, off of my, my, my tribe in, uh, you guys are influencing the future of Restaurant Unstoppable. I am paying attention to you. So if you want to have a flu- an influence on the future of Restaurant Unstoppable, please sign up for that email list. and Let's do this together. And then lastly, help me spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable, this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry by sharing this sucker with anybody, everyone you know who's aspiring to be great. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.